0: Sean's going to now come and give us uh, our Bible reading. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it actually starts from verse 9 through to verse 21. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 9.
1: I'll be reading from the NIV version, 2 Corinthians 5 verses 9 to 21. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to make pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God.
0: Please excuse me, I think I'll move it a little bit to the center. But I'll be fine, I reckon. What a joy, brothers and sisters, to be here our very first converge. The Lord is good. The Lord has been gracious to us. You know, we have come together uh, to celebrate his goodness to us. You know, we we are converging in the sense that we are we are coming together to celebrate the gospel, to celebrate his goodness to us. We are coming together to, to align uh, our, our hearts, our values, our, our vision once more towards what God desires of us, wants of us. What does the Lord want of us as a church? And uh, most importantly, we are, we are converging. Upon the gospel we are bringing ourselves together and once more putting the gospel at the very center because what we desire is that we we are driven by the gospel we are centered on the gospel we we are putting what's important right at the heart of our church so this is a very important event I do not take this for granted No, I do not have a lot of opportunities to speak to the whole church together like this. So I do value this time together. I thank you for being here with us and for uh, giving up this day. And I pray that the Lord indeed would bless us and help us glorify him together. Let us pray. Almighty God, we... We ask that you would even now open our hearts and make it possible for us not just to understand but to respond to you in obedience help us to please you grant me words pleasing to you grant us thoughts that would please you help us we pray through Christ our Lord amen you know when we say that we want as a church to to be gospel driven to be gospel centered that's not just one value among the many that we have it is the one thing that drives all that we do all our values as a church No, the the gospel, by the way, is not just the ABC. Some some people imagine that the gospel is about how you get saved. And after we've gotten saved, we just preach the law so that we know how to live. No, 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 no. Uh, The gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. It is not just about how to get saved. It is the means by which God transforms us when paul says the gospel is the power of god unto salvation he has more in mind than how we get saved the rest of romans talk about a a gospel transformation it is god's power to change us deeply and profoundly it is the power of the holy spirit itself at work in our hearts as he opened our hearts to 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 know the gospel and to believe in the gospel. D.A. Carson once said these words. One of the most urgently needed things today is a careful treatment of how the gospel, biblically and richly understood, ought to shape everything we do as a church, all our ethics and all our priorities and that's what precisely we want to do we want to converge again upon the gospel and consider how that impacts our thinking our priority our visioning as a church we must be centered upon the gospel the gospel stands apart as of first importance the apostle paul says For what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. It is of first importance. The gospel is not just one of many teaching or doctrine. It is of such importance that Paul once says that when I was with you, I resolve to be ignorant of other things. I uh, resolve, in fact, to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You can't go beyond the gospel. You can go and unravel the gospel and apply the gospel to all our life, The day cornerstone, go beyond the gospel and say we need to go onto something more deep and more spiritual, we would have lost our way. Because there's nothing deeper, nothing more profound than the gospel. We'll spend a whole eternity unraveling that, leading us to praise and worship of God. The, The passage we read, what a powerful passage, wasn't that? It is one, one portion of scripture I want to commit to memory and to meditate upon the rest of my life. And I commend that passage to you for that purpose, that we would meditate upon it often. In that passage, uh, Paul demonstrates how, how the gospel shapes everything, our, our, our life. Our, our ministry, our motivation. Uh, I'm just going to make three broad points about this, about how that gospel centeredness works in this particular passage, how, first of all, it shapes our living. You know, Paul makes a point that the gospel changes us deeply, the spirit shapes us deeply by changing our heart. He changes us from the inside out. You know, the gospel does it work at the very core of our being. The world is very taken by appearance. People are obsessed about personal image. We make self promotion an art form. You know, even among Christians, you know. When someone come up on stage, we want to make a great deal about how great or how wonderful that person is, how great a leader I am. Now, I want to tell you story after story about how great I am, about about what I do uh, in ministry. But Paul says, no, 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 no. You know, what's the big deal? What we want to make the big deal is the gospel because by the gospel God changes us uh, from the inside out and this is the message we we speak plainly to you constantly we do not rate people according to what they say about themselves in the social media I mean what is basically Facebook about what social media about is basically self promotion It's basically telling people who we are and what we do and what we eat and what we see and where we went Now, against all this obsession about self, Paul draws us to the gospel and says that the gospel changes us in such a way, it is the way by which the spirit effect the new creation in us. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Now, God, who would make all things new, all creation new, one day, has begun the work in you who believe, and our, our whole life is now orientated towards that future in Christ. God totally restructured our life, you know, completely changing the entire fabric of our thinking our desiring our willing and our feeling and that's what it means that our life is now uh shaped by the gospel Uh, that that gospel is affecting in us nothing less than god's new creation and we see that among ourselves don't we how god changes people how god effect in us that transformation through the gospel you know if if we could have an evening together, I would so want to see and hear story of God's grace in your life. How God changed you. And I know there are many, many among us who have stories of that nature. A couple of weeks ago, we were up in Northern Thailand. We met a guy that we've known for a couple of years. His name is Vinai. You know, he you know, he he was a gangster, and not just a gangster. He was the enforcer of a brutal gang. And when I asked, have, have you killed people, people before he, he smiled and smirked. He heard the gospel. And now he, he, he comes down to the James O. Fraser Center whenever he could to learn. And he would go to villages to preach the gospel. And when he went to villages to preach the gospel, people were amazed. They said, what's going on? This is a man we were terrified of. He was the standover man, and now he's talking about the love of God. What's going on? And he could preach the gospel of God to them. And the transformation is deep and profound. He told me, look, C.S., would you go with me one day? to the prisons over in Thailand. There are people there who need to hear the gospel, he says, and and God can change them as he has changed me. And I tell you, he said, look, see, yes, he, he, he seemed to think that I, I I'll I'll be uh, appalled or amazed that in you know, a lot of these prisons are Westerners. He said, some of these prisons have lots of Westerners, and, and they need to hear the gospel. Now, when we hear a story like that, we say, How amazing. What an illustration of the power of God. You know, brothers and sisters, for every one of you who lived the Australian dream, who who went through wonderful schooling opportunities here and, and had a great job, and you heard the gospel, And you turn around and say, I believe in Jesus. I no longer live for myself. I want to please Jesus. That is as big a miracle as the one we saw in Thailand. You know why? You put that man next to you. And if there is a machine that could x-ray your heart and review the spiritual condition of your heart, there would be no difference between respectable you or that respectable person and we and I For we all need the gospel. We need God to save us. And God effects a change. It is as much a miracle when among us we see people who could drift along and live the, the dream life in Australia as much as what we see in the other chap in Thailand. Now, our goal, if God has saved us, is, is to please him. Now previously, we live for ourselves. We have personal aspiration. And now, Paul said, we live to please Christ. That's one sure test, whether the gospel has gotten into your heart do you live to please Jesus or do you live to please yourself? Do you think God and his gospel are just tools for us to get to what we want to do anyway? Do you think that the gospel is God's way of helping you to live your dream? There is, in fact, a book on my shelf which says, Your Best Life, Now, what's your dream? And God will help you get there. How outrageous. What terrible heresy. When you believe in Jesus, you lay aside your life, and now your life is no longer yours. You live to please Jesus, and that's what we want of ourselves and to urge ourselves towards, brothers. Listen to what Paul says in verse 9. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away uh, from it. Previously, we please ourselves. Previously, we have our interests and agenda. Now we live to please Jesus. When we stand up later and walk out of his hall. Ask in your heart with me, how can I please Jesus? When I eat lunch, I ask, how can I please Jesus? When I speak to you, I want that thought in my heart, in my mind. How can I please Jesus? Because I no longer live for myself. I must live to please Jesus. For we must all, verse 10, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, we are accountable to God, Christ. He has saved us. The life we have no longer ours to live; it is for Christ. I no longer serve myself, and no longer should you serve yourself. We serve Christ, and more than that, you and I, you and I, are accountable. Christ and one day we will stand before Christ before his judgment seat and on that in that book before we before whom we must stand before Christ in that book that he has is an appointment book with your name on it and one day you and I will stand there to keep that appointment and Christ would require an account of our life. Not whether we will be saved or not be saved, for that has been secured for us through what Christ has done. Christ wants to know, this life that I save you, uh, this life that I give to you, is to serve me with, what have you done with it? And we will receive in ourselves, What Christ would give to us according to what we have done, whether good or bad, what it means is everything that you do, I do, as a Christian, matter. Everything. Don't ever fall into the trap and say, I, I'll be safe in here, I'll be in heaven. No, Paul said, everything that you do, I do, Matters. And Paul goes on to say, the life that we live is in plain sight, not just only before God, but before men. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again. We are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what's in the heart. Those who who make a big deal about appearances, performances, rather than what is, what is in the heart? If if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Paul says, "My devotion to Jesus, my life is such that it would not make sense to outsiders." It will not compute to outsiders why I must give my life to Jesus. You know, do the world this is how you make sense to your world. Live for yourself. Think and be obsessed about the best job opportunities, the biggest house, the most fantastical holidays more houses, more investment, where my children go to school, and how great they're going to be, who they're going to make. Those are the obsessions of our society. Those things make sense to you. When, when, when you say, no, no, my life is about pleasing Jesus, you are insane to the world. Paul says, and that is for God. But I speak plainly to you for your sake to speak the gospel plainly to your heart. Number two, the shape of our life, and not just the shape of our life, but our very motivation, is formed by the gospel. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love compels me, it drives me, it takes me and makes me a captive of Christ so that I now follow Christ enthralled by his love for me. I am the one who is like the man who was love-struck, who saw beauty, who saw love, and I could not but be compelled by the love, and I am attracted to it, I'm driven by it, and it shapes me. Many years ago, there is this man, Count Nicholas Zinzendorf, born 1700 in Dresden. He was born into one of the most aristocratic families in Europe. And in the early 1700, his Christianity was much like the rest of his culture, very formal, very dutiful very intellectual. And he said that deep in his heart, there's no passion, no desire for God to serve him, to love him. And the day came when he he took what we would call a gap year. Now, in, in, in those days, as a young aristocrat, they, they did what they called the grand tour. Dex, Dex that's a, a gap year on steroids where they visited all the great cultural centers of Europe. And Nicholas visited a, a, a museum in, in uh, Dusseldorf where he saw a painting by Domenico uh, Fett, Echo Homo, which means behold the man. And in the painting was a picture of Christ being crushed for our sin, blooded, having been whipped, having been scourged, wearing a crown of thorns, blooded, about to be led to the cross. And when you look into her face, you see sorrow and pain. You see the that of anguish of someone about to be totally separated from his father. And at the bottom of the picture are these words This have I done for you. And Nicholas's heart was drawn back to the gospel not just at a hit level, but God engages his heart as well with the gospel and change him. He was so deeply affected by the love of God in Christ for him that at that moment he totally dedicated and surrendered his life to Jesus and he started one of the greatest missionary movements in history that resulted in the preaching of the gospel in far places and not just that, in the renewal of the Christian churches all over Europe. And he wrote a song that we sometimes mistakenly think was written by John Wesley. It was not written by John Wesley. It was translated by John Wesley. And these are the words of that hymn that we sometimes sing among ourselves. And the words say, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty, ra, my glorious dress, misflaming words in this arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head, bold shall I stand in thy great day, for o- poor o- to my charge shall I lay fully absorbed through these I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame, the holy, meek, unsported Lamb, who from the Father's bosom came, who died for me, even me to atone, now for my Lord and God I own. Lord, I believe thy precious blood, which at the mercy seat of God, forever doth for sinners plead for me, even for my soul was shed. When from the dust of death I rise to claim my mansion in the skies, even then, this shall all my plea be, Jesus had lived and had died for me. Jesus, the endless praise to thee whose boundless miss mercy had for me, for me a full atonement made and everlasting ransom paid. Those are the words that change or reflect the change in a life confronted with the gospel of Christ the result of which started a movement of the gospel rarely seen in history compels by the love of christ what compels you what drives you what gets you out of bed what gets me out of bed what make me do what i do i pray it is not a hunger for recognition or success a desire to prove people wrong, or even some lofty-sounding things like self-actualization. The desire to be the best you or to win the love of someone you think is important to you. I pray you and I, we are compelled by the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Apostle Paul, isn't it? Once he was an enemy of Christ, he hated Christ. He went from place to place to persecute Christians and to, to persecute Christ. He hated Christ so much that he could not bear the name. He wanted to it out. And one day while he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus met him. And Jesus loved him. Jesus showed himself to be the one who had died for even him. And Paul says, I used to hate him. And now I am his captive because of that love for me. The life I live." I no longer live for myself. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. And that's what the love of God does to you. If you understand what God in Christ has done for you and for me to save me, out of enmity into sonship, that's a compulsion of love. Finally, the gospel shaped our message. No, what, what was the message of, of your life? When people look at me, look at you, what do people hear? Uh, by, by, by my audible words and by the way I live, what do they hear? What message do they get from your life and from my life? Listen. Paul says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself to Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He who was without sin, God made to be sin. So that you and I who is without righteousness might be conferred the righteousness of Christ Himself. What a glorious gospel! Christ our substitute, the result of which Paul says, Our sins are no longer counted against us. Our sins are no longer counted against us. No, if you could but get a deeper sense of that, if I could, I would come to this place with joy. And go out of this place with praise on my lips because now my sins are not counted against me through Christ. And you and I must proclaim that message. We are Christ's ambassador, God's ambassador. We have been sent to this world. We have been left upon this world with a mission as the ambassadors of God. We are not here to do our business. We are here for the king's business. And the king's business is this. You are to proclaim that message. Christ has died for our sin and God is reconciling people to himself through Christ. And this is given to all who believe. And what a great ministry to have. A few days ago, I was reconnected with an elder of my church where I grew up many years ago. He was my elder and my preaching elder uh, in the 70s. And I wrote to him and said, Frederick, I want you to know that because you preached the gospel, you taught me the gospel, Frederick, because you invested in my life, the gospel continued to bear fruit half a world away. And as a result of which the gospel also continues to bear fruit in other parts of the world who have heard the gospel to our ministries, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I know that man in, the 70, in his 70s and I know he was deeply moved. And he say, I am humbled. I am grateful. That ministry is a ministry of being ambassadors of God to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel into people's life. And that's what Cornerstone is about when we plant churches. It is about the proclamation of the gospel, and so whether we at stressful concord Ro- uh, homebush bay or wherever that is word. when 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 we preach the gospel we are doing nothing less than the king's business we are not just saying it we are appealing to people we are urging people be reconciled to god It is not just teaching hate knowledge. We are appealing to the heart that God, through Christ, has sent His Son so that anyone who believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life be reconciled to God. Today, you and I must have in our hearts, our minds, people that we are speaking the gospel to. You must do that. I must do that because that's what pleases Christ. That's what it means to be ambassadors of Christ. One day we'll see his face. One day we'll stand before Christ. And I pray that when that happens, we would hear those words. Well done, you good and faithful servants. Let us pray. Mighty God, we ask you to examine our eyes as we come before your table. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to proclaim your gospel. And now we proclaim it once more to the bread. And the cup that Christ has instructed us to do. We celebrate the gospel. And Father, as we do so, we pray that you would indeed examine our hearts and hear the silent confessions. And in Christ, Father, we take hold of the promised forgiveness of sin to those who would come to you through Christ and who would confess our sins. So, Lord, we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.